Blake just posted food that looks really good. In the meantime. That's why I eat before the show. I know. I'm the idiot that didn't do it today. Yeah, no, I had uh, had Cuban food. I know. You already told me. If you need to snack, that's perfectly fine. I don't even have any... everybody and we are x's for show coming to you live talking about everybody's favorite ragtag team of soundtrack scoundrels uh we are here to talk about guardians of the galaxy in its many splendid pop iconographic forms i'm nico and you can find me at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n on all your socials i am tk and you can find me on twitter and instagram at x nate x gray x and that makes me Kevo, and you can find me on your socials at Kevo Reilly, that's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, and we are here to talk some G-O-T-G. Did you get that I was doing a I Am Groot thing? Oh, Did get that? no, I thought it was one of those times where like I have trouble doing my own introduction. Mm. I thought uh, you were just being like declarative, like I am TK. No, I actually said it. a whole monologue in oh, okay. I, am, I Am Groot speak. I followed. Yeah, I'm still learning TK, so you know, I only got like tough language. Them verb conjugations will kill you. Well, you know, I'm a little bit more of a a gloss based language, so uh, I really get it. And we are here to talk about the the myth, the man, the legend, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is such a unique property because if you asked me uh, what property should get you know, produced into a giant space opera at Marvel. I wouldn't have said Guardians, uh, but they went and did, and it turned out to be a cash megalith. I actually remember getting a phone call from a a friend who was like, Nico, did you hear they cast Chris Pratt? And I heard kind of staticky noises, and I was like, "Uh, but what? And And I come back and I hear Star Wars, and I was like, oh, Oh, he's going to be terrible in that. All right. And they were like, really? You don't think he'd be a good job? And I was like, no. I mean, who's he going to play? Funny Ben Kenobi? I don't know. And they were like, no, idiot. He got Star-Lord. And I was like, oh. Oh, no, I don't care enough to have an opinion. Yeah, that's a thing, too. Yeah, at the time, I mean, I think, you know, join us all on a journey back through time. Because that's really the thing. When Guardians got announced, we didn't care about Chris Pratt. We didn't care about Guardians. Don't worry. I'm going to give you time to talk about Arishem. Um, There's always time to talk about Arishem. There's always time for an Arishem. None of this stuff mattered to us. You know, like Nico, I probably would not have chosen Guardians either. I probably would have gone right to the Nova Corps. Um, mm-hmm. I probably would have flipped things. Novacore would have been the movie. Guardians would have been the guys who show up in the background of Novacore's movie. Um, I probably would have picked somebody really hot and important for Richard Ryder. 
and that's that like but you know remember at the time we were all like really april's fat boyfriend is gonna be star lord i don't know now nah, i was like april's hot boyfriend is gonna be star lord i mean i loved him at the time don't get me wrong but just yeah. the marvel shape yeah. is not uh parks and rec shape no. uh and we have a bit to talk about with that we're yeah, like we're gonna get into it uh but yeah it's just kind of bonkers that like if you were into Marvel comics as they were announcing things, of course, you're like, of course, they're doing a Captain America movie. Guardians was the first time where I was like, that's not right. Uh, somebody has made a mistake and I feel very sorry for them when their job tanks. Uh, I don't know that this trauma guy doing a Guardians of the Galaxy movie is going to be successful for this Marvel company. Uh, lo and behold, I am eating those words. I think Guardians of the Galaxy 2 even was really the first time that we started to see the effects of no mutants. Yeah. And what do we do? How do we do something weird and kooky outside of the main Avengers line if we don't have mutants? What can we do do with all the other stuff we own? And sort of scrambling around for a different team. Yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the things that makes the Guardian such a unique property. We talk a lot about Untested's and how Untested's can do a lot for a brand. And when your Untested actually has years of backlog, your Untested is actually a little bit tested. Um, you know, but I think one of the things that makes Guardians a little bit more unique than everything else is everything else had to some extent brand recognition within Marvel. That's really what it is. And I'm not saying that Guardians didn't, but like, you know, oh, you're a Marvel space kid. And you kind of went in the space camp room. And, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Because, you know, I was... I was a... Okay. It's a music show, right? So let's do music. If you go back to the, like, pop music wars of our childhoods, because we're all, you know, within a year and a half of each other. Uh, Actually, no, we're we're actually all within a year and... Like, a year and three days of each other. A year and four days. So that's pretty perfect. Yeah. Um, Three of us. So... The one of the big things that dominated our childhood was the competition that uh, young women and young men in the music industry were forced into. And it was like you could like several, but you had to have opinions. So it was Britney or Christina. It mm-hmm. was Jessica Simpson or Mandy Moore. And you can tell the difference in the status that these women obtained because I have to be clear about which Mandy and which Jessica I am talking about. And I don't think many of you went Patankin Jessica Parker. So, um, Ooh, good I question, just, though. You know, um, but you could also like boy bands and like it was Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. Uh, and then there was sort of like 98 degrees or 98 degrees is very much the RC Cola. Like yeah, it was, enough. uh, it was 1% of the world's favorite, but that's still a lot of people. Um, and you know, it, but, and it was always you, of course, everybody loved Backstreet Boys and in sync, but you did have to have one that was specific you could like uh backstreet's back and you could like bye 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 but at the end of the day you had to announce to people which you were choosing uh at some point at some point you always had to declare a favorite mm-hmm. uh and you know i feel like bands like 98 degrees people like mandy moore sort of often got exempt from that 
in so far as it was like they're obviously not one or two so they're obviously not pepsi or coke so um if you say they're your favorite you are automatically saying your opinion doesn't matter in this conversation <laughs> and uh i do think it's a little bit what it was like with the guardians for a while uh mm. you know I think being enthused, I, I think for one thing, they didn't quite have brand recognition. I, I think a lot of people straight up did not know that the Guardians of the Galaxy were a thing in Marvel Comics the way everybody knew what the Avengers were. But more to the point, if you did know and somebody was like, that's my team, they would be like, that's nonsense. How is that your team? Who are those people? Uh, whereas, you know, anybody can like Captain America. That's obvious. And, you know, there's a level, I think, that we sort of project a little bit onto these characters that are connected in um, like magical little ways, right? <clears throat> I think a lot of people came to the Eternals this past two years, uh, maybe with some Cersei love or some Kieran Gillen love or some Neil Gaiman love or some, you know, specific. Uh, a lot people. of Richard Madden love. A lot, a lot of, of Richard Rob, Madden love. Rob Stark yeah into, I, I think that was a huge one for people i think that was a saving grace for that film and i think that draw is and you know the the tremendous performances because i mean even if you didn't love eternals as a film uh you know it still did a lot of really it, it still deserves your you know your your respect because they acted the something. shit out of that movie that's you better be into it yeah i guess that's what i'm trying to say um but so i bring this all up because you know, there's enough stuff in Guardians that even if you're not like the biggest Guardians person, you can kind of get there. There's enough. Um, but uh, there's never really been enough for me before. Uh, I thought the first Guardians was fine, but I did not want to go out and buy a Star-Lord helmet. I thought the second Guardian, I genuinely did not enjoy the second Guardians. Just like to put that out there. It is not a film for me. Um I thought Star-Lord and Gamora's contributions to the Avengers films were unfortunate. Uh, I really enjoyed some of the Thor stuff, but it wasn't mm -hmm. until the holiday special where I kind of had to take a step back and be like, okay, you know what? Earlier Guardians wasn't for me, but James Gunn is showing not just a maturity of self, but a maturity of artistic palette that really said to me, you know what, I'm here to make something maybe not even better, but something possibly more accessible. Uh, and while I did not think that Guardians 3 was the home run of Phase 4. Well, it's Phase 5. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I guess. Oh, great. Fan favorite. It is my favorite, favorite movie of season five season five a phase Good five job. i mean it, it job. is a little tough because it's it, it's from another era basically but um b plus is fuck that's what i really yeah. want to say like really and like if you know me in movies i don't even that's get a like, good my, grade for you that's huge yeah like i would i would have said uh top three for this phase you but. You've stuck by that B plus while having really serious uh, things to say that are not positive. And mm -hmm. I think that in and of itself really says something. Um, I think there are things about the movie to 
critique one two that i can understand why you didn't connect with there were things that i didn't connect with and despite all that saying that it's a a really solid b plus kind of does speak to that there was some love for it and you know i really think you are one of the things that you mentioned is it's really the first i mean as i mentioned earlier james gunn was a trauma movie director not long before he started guardians one uh don't google the trauma movies if you don't know what they are they're horrible they're not prepared yeah um they were very like when we were kids you could get them on video at like the weird video store and they were for the edgy kids to be like i'm a scumbag look what i have and i worked at a comic shop that prided that prided itself on the extensiveness of its pornography and how well it was kept behind a thin white curtain uh, so believe you the ever loving trauma out of me. Uh, I sold a number. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we uh, discussed some of James Gunn's past and those project uh, and those projects as well. Over on um, our other program, HTML what? during oh, our you, coverage Kevin. of uh the uh, mcu initially in the lead up to endgame and uh, yeah i had never known about trauma <laughs> and all of that and what this you is said, my dream, dream pinball, pinball table. table yeah kind of um when we were first covering the mcu on the lead up to endgame was right around the time that james gunn had been fired and i was just learning about trauma and um I was really pleased with his reaction to everything that went down and how, yep, it's it's me and I need to clean up my image if that is what this company is saying to me. And I always thought that was so great for whatever his past was, for anything else he does. You know, I think that that professional decorum went a long way toward getting him his current job. I agree. I think it was actually one of the stupidest controversies that we allowed to be something because if it was a problem, James Gunn should not have been hired for Guardians 1 with his CV because those movies are, on the whole, more horrifying and upsetting to me than the tweets. Uh, It's a little easy to look at the tweet and be like, a nugget of grossness um and of like wrongness but who doesn't sometimes very stupidly communicate their intrusive thoughts and maybe yeah. this is something and we should have been joke. more mindful of at the start of twitter but then he should have backed down and he did but i mean the, you know, he, I, the controversy was that he didn't yeah um i that's I, the only reason that i support that, the controversy that he, that he yeah. stood by yeah which but i also kind of get it because that really is the thing like if i if i got hired in the first place if, after looking at my catalog i can't believe that all of a sudden this is a problem it, hold on okay. um you are right insofar as like from from the standpoint of like well i'd like to keep my job and not go through the rigmarole you should just apologize and move on yeah um go my counter is yeah he got hired probably five or six years earlier 
with a different social climate by a bunch of white guys who had no sensitivity toward reality. And so while he was hired with no problem, to say that nothing anyone has ever done can be seen differently in the aftermath is sort of offering an unimpeachability, uh, especially to problematic voices, that is the problem. And if James Gunn had at the time shown the sort of maturity that I deeply applaud that he has shown, shown since, yeah. there wouldn't have been a controversy, but it's that he said, how dare you say anything about me about these tweets? Well, you know what? I bet Woody Allen made some really funny jokes about Veal a few years before he left me a pharaoh. And now I bet everybody that heard those Veal jokes and talking about the meat sweating regrets how funny those jokes were at the time. Mm. And so I just feel like... If James Gunn can be allowed to grow up and realize he should apologize, culture can be allowed to grow up and realize he should be held accountable in the first place. Fair. You are definitely not wrong about that. That is a an entirely reasonable viewpoint. I To go back to the original point of it yeah. all... I mean, we agree, so we go anywhere you want. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that that was a real turning point you know, you've got James, the horrifying trauma director, James, the slightly cleaned up dude who can direct a Marvel movie that people respond to really well. But that I think, and I think the three of us agree, not for us, not, not, not the best in, in the oeuvre of Marvel movies of the time. No. And, you know, I just want to comment that something that yeah. we noticed is we were watching a bunch of behind the scenes stuff for the attractions that we're going to talk about. Yeah. And, uh, one of the things that was so funny is how Keva was like, oh, my God, he looks so much younger, just like five years earlier. And I was like, this yeah, is like president level of aging. Yeah. Right. But one of the things that that made me realize is now that he's like, I am pure white, like a Siberian Husky. He's like Anderson Cooper. I hate you for that joke, but it's correct. Uh. And, you know, I just that is the thing I just oh, God damn. It's why I can't why Joss Whedon is not a creator that I yet am ready to even discuss the work of. Yeah. Like, actually, I can't discuss the work. It troubles me. Yeah. It troubles me. But James Gunn was like, ugh. I mean, like, I was just reading this article today where he came at himself for how slowly he, e like, once he even had agreed to take responsibility, he comes at himself for not taking responsibility faster and more aggressively. And like, I might not think James Gunn is the world's greatest director or creator, but I genuinely think that he is the kind of person who was forced into a corner and the apology came as a result of some pressure, but he is now living up to that word and you can't make people agree with you. Um, but you can enforce behaviors. And I just really think James Gunn is enforcing a better behavior. And I'm really excited to see the man he continues to evolve into. And, you know, that that sort of takes me back to my point, which is uh, post-firing James Gunn created some stuff that feels like it is of a completely different era and a significantly more evolved person not just in the ways that you are talking about but in uh a, like artistic and a lot of business ways and i sort of wonder if that person did have to put his stamp on leave this gorgeous swan song and get the f out because 
the person that they hired is not the person that left. And even though the person that left made ultimately their best movie and one of the better ones of the entire series as a whole, um, for whatever reason, that person just couldn't stay. Um, you know, that person, maybe I think I could speculate one of the big reasons is like highly evolved James Gunn did need a bigger job than Marvel was able to give him. And DC gave him that job. And unfortunately, DC is such a mess. Warner Brothers really is such a mess that I worry for him quite deeply. But they did give him a job closer to Kevin Feige's, which kind of seems like he is beyond just let me direct another movie at this point. I said to Kebo earlier today, you want to know why James Gunn is not like the guy to worry about? Do you want to know why James Gunn is not out to destroy the universe? Yeah. David Zasilov picked him. So, I mean, he's effectively, he's a, he's a, he's a living room guy. Yeah. Um, that is the unfortunate blessing and curse of this whole thing. Uh, it's, it is my only real sadness and worry is that he took a job offered to him by David Zoslav, this person who is Elon Muskily tanking this company. The writers I guess... will come back because they love to write. Holy shit. Like, I, I just... I guess Kevo. you have to assume, or I would assume, yeah. um, his thought process must be that itself is a built-in parachute of... It's Warner Brothers. They yeah. were already on fire. What did I do? Not be able to put it out? For Even them? if he I makes the worst movie, the excuse can be, well, look who I made it for. Yeah. Did I really do a worse job than anything else that came before me that couldn't get a foothold? Probably yeah. not. Yeah. Um, you know, and I really, it's such a feedback loop, too, because I wonder how much of not just being removed from Disney but working for DC and having made Suicide Squad influenced Guardians. Because mm -hmm. this, one of the things that we noted while we were uh, learning about the attractions and Mission Breakout is that the score for that attraction was done by Tyler Bates, who was the composer for the first two movies. Not the third Guardians movie, though. Yeah, That was John Murphy, who is the composer from Suicide Squad. Yeah. And so already this franchise that he has been making for a decade because 2014 to 2023 it's like that's for a sure. decade uh already the conclusion of that was influenced by his new work over there the closest thing we will ever get to an amalgam universe between marvel and dc's movies and film is james gunn's cross actors and influences yeah between suicide squad and guardians well and I could do this part of the show all day, but yeah, I'm go. gonna let's, be let's get I'm into gonna it. be slide daddy and I'm gonna slap it down on the counter for a minute. So uh let's pull up some what? So let's pull up some uh pull up some slides. Uh I just wanna I point out that so I just wanna say that one of the things I love the most about making this show is um is sort of the free exchange of ideas. We don't all feel the same way about anything, uh, and we don't always all have the time to talk about the ways we don't always all feel the same. But one of the things that we do have the capacity to do is uh, communicate some fundamental core concepts to one another. And I think that's actually the heart of the Guardians films. They're about fundamentally communicating needs uh, within a family, not always being able to communicate 
wants uh, or desires in ways that are healthy, which is why the Guardians are routinely hyper-selfish and immature. Even the mature Guardians are immature. Uh, it is a very Tiny Toons Rugrats situation. But yeah. one of the things that you can trace as a narrative across all three Guardians films, starting with Guardians 1, if we could get that slide up, yeah. is... The core of Guardians as a franchise is about the uniqueness of visual identity and the ways in which visual identity interacts with a, a property. Every one of these characters is one of a kind and visually looks it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's tough in the Marvel Universe uh, where there are a lot of white bodies Um there for a time was were a lot of tokenized people of color but the diversity wasn't quite there um and that's you know setting that aside as like a broader conversation to have it just ultimately was everybody at times kind of looks the same it's just a bunch of people hanging out at a table arguing the guardians you know being a tree a woodland-esque creature uh drax gamora nebula you know like blue green it really does make for a visual smorgasbord um that i think one of the things that james gunn has always done well is translated the voice and the character ideal to match how different the they all are physically mm-hmm and, you know, we were talking about the casting of Chris Pratt earlier, and I think this even speaks to the decision for both Chris Pratt and Dave Bautista of they aren't the same general shape that we've been seeing from Chris Evans, from, you know, even RDJ when, you know, they mm -hmm. made him get all beefy. Yep. You know, just to kind of tie into this for a minute, I, I definitely am a guy who suffers from body dysmorphia. You know, if you look at my Instagram, uh, while I have carefully cultivated out some photos uh, over the course of the last like five or six years, I've run about 40 pounds difference and not like in a <laughs> braggy, like it's not particularly an amount of body fat. That is the number that goes up and down on that scale. Uh and it's, you know, there's definitely some physicality to it. And Kevo, if you would bring up that first image of Chris Pratt, one of the things that you can see in Guardians 1, there was a leanness to his form. There was a, a he has to fly through the air. And there was a little yeah. bit more of a 1980s classic physique about him. There's a, a cutness to him that is unique from the other heroes in the Marvel Universe. But Kevo, if you would go to the Guardians 2 image for a moment, there's oh. definitely a transformation that is, I mean, it's shocking. There is a, a serious amount of like roid gut here. Yeah. That, I mean, it is protrusive and you can see in his face, there is a heavy weight to him. And I mean, yeah. I think, I think big beefy men are so beautiful, but I don't think like, if you look at his arms, I don't think he looks like it's a symmetrical balance in a way that's healthy for Chris Pratt. I think Chris Pratt does not seem happy at this moment. And I don't just mean in this image, but I mean, as a general sentiment, he has talked a lot about, you know, body image and uh, there's jokes at the expense of him not being as fit as the other heroes later on. There was noticeably less shirtlessness 
this last uh, film. And I mm -hmm. just feel like Chris Pratt's physical evolution matches some perhaps toxically masculine notions that were pervasive throughout those eras of the Marvel universe where there was a no bigger, no bigger. I'm just surprised that Chris Evans never had a heart attack on the set of one of the captain America movies. Yeah, really? At the point at which, Cause like, you know, the classic male physique is supposed, you know, Grecian is supposed to be neck biceps, uh, you know, neck arms and uh, calves all the same size, but they're really as a guy who has notably, overworked biceps <laughs> uh, i can say that uh chris evans his biceps are the size of his thighs in captain america which also speaks about leg day for these heroes but um i'm not here dissecting these men's bodies i'm pointing to these men's bodies as a representation of some notions that became pervasive throughout the cinematic quality of these films and has left a lasting impression on how we see these men their characters and what it means to be a hero in the Marvel Universe now, Will Poulter, uh, barely shirtless, just kind of like a, a quick side shot, less than you would yeah. get from any queen on Drag Race. And uh, after you know, so much hype about how he was the kid oh from the Jason Sudeikis movie, and can you believe he got and, hot? And I mean, he looks stunning. He's gorgeous. And, I mean, he's such a he's such a beautiful dude. But it's that it's that thing of like with Kumail Nanjali who gotten such great shape for oh my god in that did we even see him shirtless in that no but yes. then in that um asian and pacific islander um advertisement before this yeah. film he's so big in it yeah it is <laughs> call me yeah um i it's a very funny thing because so much and i i brought up uh, the hype around Will Poulter being announced as Adam Warlock and then the talk about how hot he'd gotten, that was kind of happening alongside the conversation about uh, maybe Chris Pratt is something of a dirtbag. Uh, maybe we don't love him so much and I am in that camp but I don't want to get too into it. Um, it's just interesting the ebbs and flows of these things. Uh, you know, James Gunn just did a Q&A on Twitter where he was like, hey, I've got some time. You can only ask yes or no questions, but hit me with them. And he just answered yes or no and nothing else to so many of these. And there were a lot that were like, is there another cut of this film? Is there a director's cut? Will we see anything else? And through yeses and noes, he really kind of clearly tried to indicate many times that there is no other cut of the film. And while I do believe that, I do imagine that uh, there were at the very least scripts and, you know, scenes that he may have chosen not to include in his final cut. That is exactly how he wanted it. That were more Chris Pratt focused and might have had the shirtlessness and mm. might have had a little bit more from him. I I believe that that material at the very least was considered for a while early on and that the sort of distaste told everybody what they needed to know. The disprattening. <laughs> exactly that. Uh, I mean, and I honestly, regardless of whether that was intentional for those reasons or not, I will say I do think it was to the movie's benefit. I think the sparingness with which they used him and how he was written 
regardless of whether or not I like him, it was my favorite performance from him in a Guardians movie. Uh, and it was the most I've liked Peter Quill. I want to just, you know, because I'm going to I'm going to move us forward in a minute. Right. Yeah. We're going to talk Guardians, too. Right. So, Kevo, get all your Guardians one thoughts amped up unless you unless you're oh, good. Okay. But uh, we because we got to get to Guardians, too, guys. But I think one of the things that I do want to point out is that there's a lot to Chris Pratt that affects the interpretation of star Lord. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I, I'm here to talk about it, but I'm really here to talk about guardians. And that is the difficulty with when you've cast an actor that winds up being a topic. Nobody knew that they, when John Mayer started, most people just thought John Mayer's music was at worst annoying. They didn't realize he was going to become so problematic and have so yeah. many hits and awards and be so well regarded by the community same thing here uh you know it's, it's a complex topic kevo guardians and then we got a guardians too uh you know i think something that's interesting about guardians of the galaxy now in retrospect uh really speaks to what we've been saying about it being a uh team series uh and how you know i feel each of the three films now that we've got all three has sort of a different focus on each of the major guardians that can carry that sort of story in their different ways uh in their different ways uh if you don't really count all the ego stuff in the second movie because you know blah but this is really you know a lot about peter and his development and how he brings them together i feel like the second movie is a lot about the sisters and then the third movie brings it into you know a lot of the points that had been seeded throughout to being a story about rocket but um you know i think the thing is these are characters that are part of a wider franchise that are going to be appearing in so many different stories so while we've been expecting there to be a lot more focus on peter as the central character in all of this stuff i think i'm ultimately pretty satisfied with you know the first movie being the most of his focus and him getting, you know, just kind of stuff throughout the rest and it not always being all about him. I think that's okay in this sort of ensemble. All right. Guardians 2. I do agree that one of the things is that it really works well in uh, an ensemble. I maybe think the problem is that we're talking about films that represent different points of the same universe Uh, I think Guardians, Guardians 2, and Guardians 3 are all made in very different points in Marvel's trajectory. And I think the fact that they're, how to be a man star of the second era of the Guardians franchise, you know, Kevo really speaks to what you were saying. Where the second movie is kind of about the sisters, but all of the sort of forced in ego stuff. And, you know, it's hard not to notice that in this film, Chris Pratt is the size of Dave Bautista. Yeah. Mm. And like, it actually changes his physicality. It changes who the character is on the screen. When you look at him in some of these promo shots, he's not that much bigger than he is in the previous film. But then to see him in the movie, he a big boy. And I say that, like, I'm not saying that judgmentally, but it, it changes the movie and it changes the visual of the movie. Um, and that, the main thing I have to say is, you know, in the first movie, Yondu is about to use the Infinity Stone to destroy the universe. There's a lot of implicit and explicit uh, abuse. And then in the second movie, it's just like, no, but he's my dad. And I get it. Um, but I maybe need 
10 fewer movies to excuse abusers and say if abusers just do some really dramatic over-the-top gesture all is forgiven it's a tough thing and it goes back to what we were talking about with james gunn james gunn the trauma director put in this guy who was gross and mean and kind of the butt of a joke that you normally would be like in the second movie it'd be like f him even more like he's he doesn't really matter we'll make one more joke about him but the thing is michael rooker is a great actor there was an idea for a uh device in the movie having to do with fatherhood there were no other options and the choice was made to gloss over some really gross jokes that weren't necessary uh and you know make him a father figure unfortunately if it really had been a great story about fathers and sons and if i had loved that and if i love peter quill anyway i might be in this mode of being like he kind of he kind of goofed that but it's okay because i love the father-son story because it is ultimately for me not super rewarding i do not connect with the peter ego story or the peter yondu story uh I'm not really interested in forgiving the fact that it that story tries to gloss over the jokes that were made in the first movie uh, and like the abuse that was canonized because of those jokes. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but this is just kind of where we are. And, you know, as I said, James Gunn then has this moment and really evolves for the third film so i guess in the end we just kind of do with it what we will but I, I i really agree i mean it's just it is an unfortunate circumstance uh and you know the movie isn't ultimately good enough for me to kind of forgive any any part of it that's inappropriate um i think i view it as like sort of an evolution of figuring out how to build this franchise both the guardians franchise and the mcu as a wider whole and you know this is the thing of films built by committee and by a company and a group where you know you're exactly right james gunn left to his own devices might have gone a completely different way with yondu but uh you don't make those decisions in a vacuum when it comes to stuff like this and whether it's he enjoyed Michael Rooker and what he could have brought to it, or it's something that Kevin Feige wanted to push in the direction. It's definitely something that I've always felt like they retconned it by the skin of their teeth. Uh, I think it's ultimately, it works well enough for anyone else who enjoys it. For other people that it works for, I don't find it so specifically troubling or upsetting or anything like that. It's just certainly not my favorite of the MCU movies. I think the thing I frequently love the most from this movie of all of them is like the colors and the soundtrack and individual moments of performance. This movie also does one of those sequel things where it repeats a lot of the jokes from the first one, but like wilder. Uh, not even in a terrible way, though. I think this is just, they didn't really expect or anticipate as much of a success of 
what Guardians would be, as it turned out to be, and so they built on it. Uh, it was the same thing with uh, Frozen going on at the same time. Their turnaround was a lot faster than Frozen, though, so you gotta give them that. Well, it helps that they were able to film, like, much of it, right? So, but I definitely get the parallel there, and especially being part of a larger community you know i don't think every musical writer goes to automatically make a sequel to their musical uh, but when you work for disney and disney says do it you do it you know i don't think james gunn would have necessarily like you said done that yondu but disney said do it so you do it actually it it is james gunn james gunn really fell in love with michael rooker uh he he went to bat specifically for that. michael rooker um i don't know i mean you know it's entirely possible that he was like i really like this guy and disney was like great because you know oh yeah peter needs a father but he has talked a lot about how much he likes michael rooker specifically uh and it does feel like michael rooker got thrown into the first one as kind of a favor and like a joke and like this obviously isn't gonna go anywhere so i'll just throw you in and we'll have fun uh and then you know by the second one the mcu is a completely different thing than it is during the first one yeah i I mean i just think he doesn't come off like a fun little joke in the first one i think he comes off like a sinister secondary villain and like there's layers to the villainy a joke villain but a villain for sure like malfoy is still a villain in harry potter yeah i think he's a little like he's a step above batrock and cap that's for sure right yeah but uh, so do either of you have any closing thoughts on Guardians 2 before we move to some new coverage? Really unfortunate that they called Ego a Celestial and never paid into that at all, uh, especially now. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's I love Ego as a concept. And so this th- that was the real hurt for me is just it felt like they they bungled him in a way that was pretty irreparable we can't have that character back or do any of the fun things with him so on the more positive side this was a really uh shining film and uh the start for really great arcs for nebula and rocket who i think uh really are the breakout characters of this whole section of the franchise which is you know really funny for these two here but no it's definitely uh karen gillen and that cgi possum I agree. I think Nebula really shines uh, in many ways. I think Nebula outshines her comic book counterpart. And uh, I'm maybe not the world's biggest uh, Zoe Saldana as Gamora fan. I think I have a lot of love for Zoe Saldana's many performances. But Gamora just kind of comes off a little and like doesn't really just doesn't rock me the way I would love. Um, But I really think a lot of this movie's fun. Um, you know, then there's kind of like a lost period where James Gunn has nothing to do with them and the Guardians are treated kind of like the scoundrels that they are. And they play some pivotal roles that he had nothing to do with. And, uh, you know, that's a little tough uh, for a director. He does not have control of them for Infinity War or Endgame. And then ultimately Love and Thunder. He was involved, but yeah. Well, just, you know, lacked ultimate control, I yeah. think. Yeah, exactly. There are some really excellent elements to their inclusions here and ultimately exploring the dangers that um, sort of the lack of 
care can rot on a person. I don't think Star-Lord, you know, went after Thanos because he's evil. It's a bigger, more complicated web here. And he didn't really have the right kind of impulse control because he was still struggling to understand what adulthood is. And, you know, while I don't think it was handled poorly, I understand that's not how James Gunn would have wanted it, though I think it worked out just fine for the greater picture of the MCU. I that is one that I really do have a problem with and I feel like it was facile writing um I you know it's we're so far past it it's not worth arguing about anymore but that for that one freak out from Peter this entire thing doesn't really happen I just feel like the the moment that the whole film and that the blip hinges on being that peter gets too emotional i don't like it for him um but at the end of the day it is what it is and and we're done with it now so you know i feel like though the more i rewatch that film and with the more distance there is the more i've like really cooled on a lot of my feelings on that now that we actually are five years after the snap in real time right um i'm a lot like Every time I rewatch, I'm like, yeah, but there's X, Y, Z factors in why Thanos is able to commit this to like, they didn't protect the other stones well enough either. And And in my head, in my head, if it wasn't uh, Peter in another reality, one of the other million, it's because uh, it's the other Peter. And in another reality, it's Tony. I would, I I honestly, I would take, Mm. I would take Peter doing it. And a huge part of it for me, too, came even from this film where Peter, in talking about, you know, everything that's gone on in his life, he mentions offhand, at least, you know, this is one of the things that weighs on him. And I don't think that he should be punished or be shunned for the rest of his life for doing that thing. I think he should feel dumb. I think he should feel guilty. And knowing that he does uh, shows a lot of maturity and growth for the character in a way where I think uh certainly earlier on it would have been a lot more no no i'm being a baby i want to punish the russo brothers like it's the writing that bothers me and when it comes to the films themselves i it doesn't bother me for peter as a character but i actually did really love that moment uh and don't forget the russo brothers are not the writers and we should blame marcus mcfeely true christopher marcus and stephen mcfeely who uh wrote these movies yeah uh I mean, I also just want to like step in and just be like, I imagine uh, incredibly gorgeous CEO daddy Bob Iger sitting in his uh, big man chair, just going, which one of them technically sells the fewest toys? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Him. Make it his Peter. fault. Make it Peter. Uh, Make it Peter's fault, and they got confused. It was supposed yep. to be Spider Man. Yeah. Now, I. My problems with Mr. Rita Ora's uh, Thor Love and Thunder are uh, plentiful. Listen, after the Met Gala, I need you to just... Well, uh, uh, are plentiful, but uh, I am a Thor apologist. I am a Taika Waititi apologist. I am a Jane obsessor. And uh, I think a lot of the problems with Thor Love and Thunder are a lot of the problems I'm having with the Marvel Universe right now. You're trying to tell some leftover pieces because it's too expensive to always start over. But sometimes you tell dead ends and you're stuck with them. And I feel very much like uh, 
you know, the Guardians in Love and Thunder are they're the candy in the in the candy box that you didn't buy it for. They're like, oh, that one caramel. I mean, you really bought it because it's dark chocolate, but oh, that one's got caramel in it. That's fine. I didn't buy oh, Love and caramel. Thunder. Okay. Yeah, I didn't buy Love and Thunder for the Guardians, but that they were there was nice. I agree. Um, I I loved them there. I thought it was really funny. I thought Chris Pratt and uh, Chris Hemsworth played off each other very well. I think. Uh, probably them having a really morale boosting cameo that gives a a a turn of battle to whoever the heroes are will be their best use in a future mcu film i don't want another one from either of them i would really prefer not a full feature but give them a solid 15 minutes of screen time in which, you know, having gone where they did in their films, they show back up and go, of course, when the universe is in danger, we're not going to, to leave it. Uh, they have some funny jokes. They, they wipe out some villains and then they go off and we're, and we're back. Yeah. And then we don't really see them much anymore. That would be my preference. Uh, and, you know, you sort of get a version of that in, at the start of Thor and it's great and it works perfectly and yeah kevo how about you what are your thoughts on evan fool evan yeah. and thor to thor you know that just that it speaks to the crossover potential of all these things i think that thor love and thunder coming before guardians 3 preemptively shows the potential for the guardians to show up in other things uh and the potential that they sustain uh, still, you know, we, we met a few that we're left with and there could be others that we don't necessarily see join. I think that having that out there as this sort of whatever um, that can appear in other cosmic stories, especially, uh, is a good thing to have. Um, so, okay. Uh, I'm really thrilled because it turns out now we are only a little behind schedule. So I want to I wanna expand... I want to expand a little bit on what you both just said, because I really like, you know, a lot of these threads and they kind of tie into the next thing we're going to talk about. Um, you know, the idea that these moments exist is really important because I don't always believe that comic book movies best serve the comic book medium. I think Disney plus shows do. Mm. And something I would really mm -hmm. love is like Marvel universe presents and, you know, you're going to have to anchor it with Thor or anchor it with Iron Man, somebody. But and I purposely pick people that you would never anchor it with. But like, you know, anchor it with a big namer and you can have a lot of like nobodies and a lot of minor characters. And I'm not saying burn up all the good characters, but the idea that you can't use Jimmy Woo, that you can't use Darcy, that you can't use you know, Nick Fury, War Machine, or Sharon Carter, you know, in sort of small appearances throughout a season. I don't know. I just think that that's the magic of the Marvel Universe, having one-offs and one-shots and crossover events that aren't like company-wide crossovers, but rather are just like cool crossover moments for great characters. So mm. I just think that's the synergy I would really love to see embraced. I think it's going to take a special thing that is a mix of 
a very popular property that they traditional wisdom would say do not waste this on a streaming series or even uh, a streaming um, werewolf by night esque smaller film. Don't do it, but they do for whatever reason. And then it's actually wildly successful and really enjoyed. And the numbers are great because I think you can absolutely do it. Um, you have to figure out what the value proposition is for obviously making money for Disney. Is that really the thing that pulls in more subscribers? I think if there's a real commitment to quality series consistently over time it will bring more money to disney disney plus the problem right now is we're just kind of not clear what we're doing here in an age where netflix says you know if we don't like the way one of your actors looks at the camera we're canceling the whole show and we'll kill them all we're gonna uh, happens go all the time folks. On WB. <laughs> um so I think like there will be some project because unfortunately it wasn't Werewolf by Night, which I think is absolutely fantastic, but people just don't care about. Um, and there will be some project that really, I think, opens people's eyes up to the fact that maybe some real utility in this world where uh, cinema attendance just isn't ever going to return to normal. Uh, there's some utility in really focusing on series. And, and stuff that can be, you know, on Disney+. Play. It doesn't all have to be series. It can be shorter films. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Variety of format. Thank you. So, speaking of variety of format. Yeah. There is uh, an amazing bit of synergy that you have an opportunity to be part of when you are connected to the Disney Corporation. Um, you know, and not just because I, I worked there and uh, my name tag is hanging in the other room, but because, uh, you know, it is the most recognizable theme park in the world. Uh, there are very few theme parks that even come close internationally. I say that as a big theme park guy, big coaster junkie, um, you know, like my dream is to go to Eiffeling, you know, so like I, I'm ready to do the, the trip to Bavaria, but um the Guardians of the Galaxy attractions, uh, the replacement for Tower of Terror over in Disneyland with Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout and the replacement for Universe of Energy. Uh, that's right. We have said goodbye to Stupid Judy and uh, Judy. Stupid Judy. One of my favorite things that it, just Ellen coming. Best for performance Jamie by Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. As Bill Nye watches on and Alex Trebek stands there, it's just a great and Albert Einstein just sort of fumbles the ball. Well, I mean, yeah, of course. He always does on Jeopardy. Every time. I didn't know Whether the answer. So I drew a Whether little it's... man. Is it this guy? Oh, my God. That's right. Joe Asuzu is in it. Oh, no, that's Dorothy's. Is is Albert Einstein in Dorothy's dream, too, though? It's both dreams? That's what the I mean. Both of you right time. now, I cannot. Okay. I know. These jokes, who are they for? So the, literally the two of you. So Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, I guess, Kevo, because evidently none of this is for TK. Um, <clears throat> Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout replaced Tower of Terror, uh, Tower of Terror, which is a beloved, which is a beloved attraction. Uh, one of the things that I love the most about Tower of Terror is that it's based on an IP and yet Disney managed to make it uniquely Disney. That's a really difficult thing to do in the theme park community, especially when you've got some, uh, dumb fucking turf creators who want to have excessive control to the point where it strangles the success of the property. Um, 
you know, I think you had a unique building and you had to find a way to transform it. You needed to stop paying for the Tower of Terror, having the Twilight Zone license. Um, they just really played into it. And, you know, one of the things that makes the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror such a unique experience for those of you who aren't exactly Disney folk is that the original in Disney World travels forward. Uh, the Disneyland equivalent does not have the same room. So the Disneyland equivalent never had the additional dimension of travel. And uh, I actually think that the California Adventure Guardians breakout repurposing of Tower of Terror, utilizing that is a better move. Uh, it's just a really cool ride. And I'm really excited for the opportunities it affords Marvel. And, you know, keeping in mind... Um the vitriolic reaction that disney got uh which you know it's tough to tell if that well, is just what no that's i was about to say that's just theme park culture so right. you know yeah, well, sure is... i mean that's every culture but like was that really a large enough group to be concerned about i mean you know i i i certainly don't have all the demographic and research numbers but it does sort of speak to what I was talking about earlier when I was saying like there needs to be a thing that pushes Marvel and Disney out of their comfort zone when it comes to streaming and what they're going to do with it. I'm pretty impressed that this was a thing in which they were pushed out of their comfort zone insofar as like they, they really had people going at them for changing this ride, but it did sort of break the dam for Marvel pulling these properties they're disney pulling marvel's properties into their theme parks where they can because of course the problem is that universal still holds a license to marvel's name in theme park rides which is why this is called guardians of the galaxy and not marvel's guardians of the galaxy or anything like that they can yeah. they can use the names of their ip but they can't use the marvel name and they can't do certain characters no right. matter what. And right. uh, they can do them in other places. So, like, there's an Ant-Man attraction in Paris. Uh, you know, Kevo, you worked for the Disney Company with me. We did multiple tours on the Disney College program. What's up, Chatham? Um, yes. Yeah, Chatham. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's the name of the Disney dorm we lived in. Mm. Um, the so best one. Right, by far the best one, best security, best mail Maybe center. Patterson. Um, anyway. For... anyway, so, uh, as big Disney kids, uh, you know, seeing this repurposing of a beloved attraction, you know, I don't remember it being quite as hateful as a lot of things clearly have it be, but I was also reading a lot of, you know, like Marvel reaction, not just theme park, right? Reaction. I was gonna say, I think you were in a world of the positivity. So, Kevo, this yeah. is directed by James Gunn. It features uh, everybody but Bradley Whitford and Vin Diesel recapturing their roles. Bradley Cooper. I do this every time. Yeah. I always say Bradley. I, I, say I get so excited earlier. because I'm like, did I forget that he was like a Nova Corps person? Well, but uh, now I want Bradley Whitford to play Rocket Raccoon's dad in something. I think he would do a really amazing job. I, I love that. I was thinking it would be really funny if he played... Um, Oh God! Now I just lost it. Uh, I'm gonna—I'll get it back in a second. I would love well, something. I, Peter's older uncle. Something I love about this too is that it has the uh, little assistant uh, 
Benicio del Toro's uh, little assistant lady, and she yes. uh, is the same actress who we love from Elementary. She played the brief Joan Watson replacement, Kitty Winter, uh, who was a who had a rough start, but she's a really fun character, great actress. Um, you know, I it's so funny watching this. Because we watched a video about break uh, about Mission Breakout earlier from the theme park fan perspective, saying that there was a lot of vitriol, and so I think it's just funny that it is this weird loggerheads of those two communities that very frequently have super strong reactions, um, not expecting super strong reactions from either of each other. Yeah. I think there probably were Marvel fans that were like, ew, putting Marvel in a Disney park. And there were Marvel fans and there were Disney fans. There are always Disney fans that are like, you can literally change nothing. Even though Walt's mantra is keep moving forward. Even though he is all about making changes in the park. They're like, also, no, the nothing can smoked, change. So maybe we can take a look at some of his decisions and say they were not super well informed at the time. I mean, there's that. But, and, you uh, know, you know. Go ahead, sorry. As as people who were really fans of that aspect of Walt's vision and the idea of continually evolving the brand, uh, yeah, we were super excited about this. We were nervous, obviously. Um, but I just think it... I think stuff like this is great. I think this is awesome. And I think that Marvel and... I think we're so lucky that we have this opportunity. You know, the Doctor Who show that I do work for has done two episodes of what attractions would we ever like to see for Doctor Who if we ever got to have one? And like, that's more realistic than ever right now, huh? I mean, yeah, there's that. But, you know, this is this is wow. Could you have imagined 20 years ago? Right. And And I oh, I'm sorry. Well, no, I was just really quickly, I was going to say, you know, one of the things that happens when you have something like this with Disney taking over Marvel and making it such a big part of their portfolio and really using the IP is a bunch of people that are comics fans or movie fans or Marvel story fans have this whole other venue to maybe become fans of. Um, and you know, somebody who is a total theme park person might get to mission breakout or, uh, cosmic getaway. Rewind. Uh, cosmic rewind. rewind. Uh, I do like that though. And have this moment of like, Oh, I really love these guys. What is their deal? Uh, and you know, get into comics or the films for the first time. So I just think that kind of overlap can be really cool. And it's sort of uh, an antidote to the vitriol of people feeling like, don't mess with my thing. And a challenger overlap with overlay. And just want to point out that there were actually uh, cool overlays at uh, the Disneyland attraction mission breakout that were holiday themed. Uh, which is something the Disneyland parks love to do. So everybody has a vague idea. While Disney World outstripes Disneyland by about 15% of attendance, Magic Kingdom-style park to Magic Kingdom-style park, the Walt Disney World brand's tourism is made up of predominantly international and non-local domestic tourism, while Disneyland's tourism is predominantly made up of locals from the surrounding states so disneyland has more of a requirement to 
change out programming on the regular to draw people back whereas disney world doesn't have quite the same onus which is where something like the incredible success in my eyes of cosmic rewind is exactly perfect um you know they haven't updated the universe of energy in so long that like yeah. they talk about it, discovering what a fossil fuel is and like it's it, it was, was time for that to go anyway it really was it breaks my heart because we loved that ride uh and there's so few slow moving rides where you can just sit for 30 minutes in air conditioning on a track <laughs> anymore um oh my god i so respect this as one of the highlights but yeah the truth is you know we've entered a different generation and it's so funny because i'm talking to my dad about because my dad raised me on you know nerd stuff and i'm talking to my dad about star trek and somehow my father as cool as he is for you know pushing 70 uh doesn't get lower decks which i don't really get because i think lower decks is just non-stop really cool star trek references to stuff he loves but evidently the presentation just doesn't work for him but like i I see why when he's like, why can't they do more just like animated next gen? And I'm like, well, because that's that's not that's that's not a thing. It's Dad. not a and comedy. That's, yeah, I, I kind of see where oftentimes people want to see something like um, the world of a. I'm trying to get the right way to put it. Like you want to see this idea that the past can always live on forever. You want to see this idea that like you never have to let go of old ideas, but there really isn't room in the modern entertainment world of Epcot for something like a, a universe of energy to thrive. And so you need to replace it. And if you're going to replace it, replace it with something cool, like a roller coaster. Uh, I think it's really brave that this was replaced with a roller coaster, but I also think that it says a lot about what Epcot is looking to create now. It's looking to make, I guess, art that engages the audience cerebrally. How can you be the world of tomorrow when tomorrow moves at an exponential technological rate? And I think one of the things that we were the most blown away and impressed by when we were watching the videos for this attraction is as huge Disney fans, uh, how much this was, how well it fit into Disney parks. And it reminds me of our reactions 13 years ago to Iron Man 2 when we saw the Stark Expo. And, you know, we were still very early in our relationship ourselves. We'd only, you know, been together three and a half years or so. Um, but like we had already bonded so much over Disney culture and you know how much the Stark Expo was inspired by Epcot and what the Epcot Pavilion was originally supposed to be. And so the fact that the Cosmic Rewind attraction uh, being a World of Xandar pavilion essentially and the way that it looks and feels so much like it belongs in Disney parks. I love that you brought up Lower Decks because that's something that we love so much about Lower Decks is that it's not making fun of Star Trek. It's not something that can't fit in the world of Star Trek for even right. as ludicrous as it gets. This does feel like it has its foot in both worlds of the movies and this Disney park that, you know, has such a specific uh flavor to it so to speak 
Now, I will say the only thing that I think is a little rough in its exclusionaryism, you know, you've got like Glenn Close, who's awesome. And you've got, um, I'm obsessed with Glenn Close. Anyone who knows me knows that like, she's a big deal for me. A little bit Sunset Boulevard. Mm, I'm not kind of clear. Right. Um, And of course you have Terry, uh, oh, last name. Cruz. Thank you. Uh, Terry Cruz, Tom Cruz, Penelope Cruz, any Cruz, right? All related. Um, they have the most amazing family get-togethers. Oh my god, I what love a that. It's called the Cruz Cruz. Um so uh it's just unfortunate when something like this is just exclusionary by virtue of needing to go uh and that's you know, that's just the nature of experiences. It's unfortunate that all cool experiences can't be affordable in an easily accessible way, uh but a lot of these experiences are so designed and it's about an immersion factor. And so uh, hopefully at some point there's a cool way to experience that story for people who can't ever make it to Disney's, uh, you know, parks. But ultimately, these two attractions, I think they're uh, worth a part of the oeuvre. You know, we said that the the first two movies, whether or not they're your thing, watch them. Uh, the three movies that follow, whether or not they're your thing, watch them. Uh, these two attractions even if like going to disney isn't your thing hey look up a ride via uh, video on youtube these were really fun it's chris pratt it's zoe saldana it's dave bautista it's a uh, rocket and groot even if they're not voiced by their main is it actors. not it's not both of them both of them. wow that's fascinating it was surprising I, to me as well um, um I'm, bradley cooper is not surprising uh i'm surprised vin diesel didn't you can't that tell word for word what i said too yeah because yeah i I also agree uh especially because it it, and i feel bad saying it it essentially does just sound like him and i guess it's because when all you say is i am group modulator yeah that's a lot easier to fake than rocket raccoon unless you're bill Hader, and then you're like don't ever fucking ask me to do anything star wars related oh my gosh He's the unfortunate like thing that we actually didn't talk about in the previous things, which is like it's a whole lot of to do for Mr. Diesel um, for what doesn't really end up amounting to a ton of performance. And I may be perfectly fine if that was sampled once and then manipulated entirely uh, by, you know, sampled once from a voice actor. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> so I have one you know. word for you. OK, one yeah. word for you. Ready? Groot. Family. Oh. Family. 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 Gotta bring up the family board. Gotta bring up the fan board. Um, the fan board. I think one of the things that actually does lend itself to the credibility of the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise is the progressive nature of Groot as a character allows you to uh, kind of contextualize the point in the franchise. Uh, Nebula is disappointingly missing from these attractions because they couldn't yeah. have known what a gem she would be. But you can at least use Groot as a really cool baseline. Again, go watch them. They're great. The animation's great. The ride experience is great. Uh, I'm I, a fan. I would have hoped at least for Cosmic Rewind that they would have had a little bit more presence for Nebula because she was so heavily featured in all of the promotional stuff for guardians volume two so even though like she doesn't come away from that as seeming to be a member of the guardians her appearance in this wouldn't have felt strange during the production of this so i'm just a little sad because now we are left in a place where she is ultimately so much more important to the guardians franchise than gamora 
and she's not in either attraction, and that makes me sad. Well, speaking of places that you're kind of surprised by what you find, uh, mm. you know, I we I, I just want to say, you know, we've been covering more and more aggressive and progressive material here, and uh, when we did that Tony's episode, um all fan of you that watched uh i just never thought we'd surpass it and then uh it turns out you guys are so invested in what we think about final fantasy uh you know and that's just the nature of like finding what works for you but part of why it is so important to keep making videos that sometimes people just don't click uh and maybe they will maybe they'll come around to it and in a couple of years that'll be our most clicked video because something great is in it who knows but like one of the things that's important is when you do get to something like guardians which is a multimedia machine and it does have games which while they're not canon act as guardians pillars if you're a Guardians fan, this game represents something huge that Daredevil's never gotten, something huge that Wolverine's never gotten in a serious way. The number of characters that have gotten treatments like this Guardians game has provided few and far between. And I would love to get a little bit more from uh, the one of us who has played it. And that's going to be a TK. That's me. Oh, hello there. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing that is special about the Guardians game and the Avengers game that is different from other, you know, the X-Men and the Avengers have gotten games. We had Ultimate Alliance for all of the above. Uh, you know, we've had Legends, which is just Ultimate Alliance for X-Men specifically. And these games let you play as a number of characters. They're really fun. There is, uh, you know a early 2000s video game amount of plot to them there right. people there's voice actors and they say that things are happening and a story moves forward but um there is not we have come to a place where we can plausibly expect to get games that have writing that will really move us and make us think and allow us to interact with interesting concepts. The last of us is a fantastic example of that amazing character growth, uh, really a heartbreaking game that you will see there's moments in the Netflix series that don't really change from the video game because they don't need to, because they're so well-written. Uh, this Guardians game is more in that style of gameplay. So there are long cutscenes, there are interactive dialogue scenes in which voice actors do uh, an animation episode's worth of speaking to each other and talking not about in-game elements, but character relationships that could That's later great. affect in-game elements but are not you know, they're not saying, what do we do to get the MacGuffin? They're really talking about, you know, Peter and Rocket are upset with each other for a lot of reasons. And it's them really saying, like, why don't you respect me? I don't know. Why won't you let me have more control of the ship? Uh, that's going to come into play in the game. But that conversation in and of itself isn't like, I'll let you have more control of the ship. Go take us to the next world map. Um so, now I'm the one in charge of this mission, and I'm gonna be the one that you play as for the next couple of minutes of the game. Now and I know why they didn't trolls. need Bradley Cooper. See, because I'm playing Rocket, and also <laughs> wait, you want to hear my Groot? 
tree noise. I'm Groot. Hey, everybody. I'm Groot. <laughs> Wait, and then um, my Drax. Bad joke. Every Drax line. Bad joke. Dave Bautista, great job. Every Drax line. Wait, they're not Bad giving joke. you good jokes, poor Dave Bautista. We're very sorry for you. So my Drax. The thing I was saying to Nico He's is... He's invisible! You can't see him! <laughs> the game gives you a balance between what you get in the comic books, which is sort of an overload of plot and dialogue and character development that is... Uh, you know, year to year, month to month, developing so much that you kind of are paving over character development because it can't all possibly be happening. Um, there's just so much, so many hours of reading about any team or character. And then the movies at their best written at if everything's perfectly on point it's still, you know, two, two and a half hours. It's one story. It one of them maybe will be like a, it takes place over the course of 15 years but then you still don't see all the plot development and a lot of it is inferred so for as beautiful as they can be and for what they can tell us about the characters compared to comics they really are a snapshot um video games give you the opportunity to have something that is in the middle uh with another element that's incredibly important which is a degree of interactivity and a degree of getting to embody the characters and what it feels like to be on the team and to fill in blanks of things like what they're what they do in their off time um it's it's its own separate universe it's even its own separate universe from the avengers game which is maybe one thing that i'm a little disappointed about but i also understand why it would have to happen uh Created by Eidos Montreal, which is a, a fantastic team. Uh, also Great a different studio. team than the team that did Avengers. Um, I just, I can't say enough good things about this game. Except, you know, if you, if, if I have any critique, one of the big ones is that the controls uh, get very hairy on the PlayStation 5. And there's a lot of hard button pressing that leads to accidental button presses. Uh, which is horrible, but I imagine some of that's solved on the computer. Or if you're not me and just don't get insanely tense during boss fights. Um, I was so impressed with this game. I was so pleased with it. I think it is such an important kind of cornerstone of a lot of the stuff we've been talking about in bridging the gaps between comics and films and how to really do MC unification. I, I think this is such an important thing. And I only hope that Marvel and Disney will recognize that this is maybe a strategy that needs to be brought in closer to home and to be integrated into, thank you, Kevo. It's so important that we see it and think about it. Um, <laughs> I want to see I want to see this sort of brought closer to home and not outsourced to I mean I want game developers to develop games but maybe we uh give them that Disney money instead of that contract money. And this is sort of the nature of what we wind up with in a corporate environment where people become dismissive of whole identities. Oh, games developed by Disney will be bad. Oh, tie-in games will be bad. I don't know. I think Spider-Man is one of the most unbelievably well-regarded games about a superhero ever. And I think that's an example of a game that people didn't expect much from initially. 
People didn't expect much from Into the Spider-Verse initially. And look what that hath wrought. So my big concern for things like Guardians of the Galaxy getting side media that focuses on moments is we wind up with this inability to tell a story that fits the audience because we want to create eras as much as we want to define characters oh that's the star lord is uh trying to get over himself era right that's like one of the big things about guardians 2 through uh avengers 4 it's the star lord's got to get over himself era simultaneously you want this you know wizened learned star lord from guardians 3 that we get to still fit in with that notion so then you've got a game like guardians of the galaxy which has to sort of span everything that a guardian fan needs because the next one of these games is going to be you know liz fair said if you've got a one in a million girl don't let her get away because the next one in a million girl is a million girls away if this game for a guardians fan is a one in a million game you're not going to get another one of these for a million games so the only real thing that disappoints me is when there isn't a longer term plan for updating and serializing these games. I wish more games could just be programs with seasons, but I understand why the nature of games, you have to buy a new game. It's often for a new system, the years of development, the lead time. I just want to celebrate this stuff. Like, I just think it's great. Um, You know, while I know I didn't play it, TK, I feel comfortable saying from your recommendation that when I'm sitting down at a system where I can conveniently play this game, because I'm, I'm not going to pick it up for Switch, uh, as much as uh, I prefer to play everything on my Switch, because graphics aren't my biggest concern, uh, I am much more frustrated by cloud-based gaming at the moment uh, and unreliable servers. Um, but... Uh, ooh, yeah, check it out. Blinded by Light from Final Fantasy tw- uh, 13. You are right? such a dork. Uh, what? So, uh, but Guardians of the Galaxy, it, just from everything you've told me, Teak, I would pick this up in a heartbeat. How about you? Do you think this was worth your investment? I do. And I also, to really quickly return to one of your points, I think that what you're talking about is possible. I think the Marvel game engine that is exactly this uh you know it has uh modules that you can pick up yearly monthly whatever it is that do you know because this game is broken into chapters so imagine you buy the original 60 dollars game and we're essentially talking about dlc they could release dlc for this particular game and three additional chapters every you know six months or whatever maybe it's just every year they're probably difficult to program but they could do that for a long time um it would of course be difficult when a new system came out but the switch came out in 2017 and is going strong so you know having had this for at least or being able to have this for like six years per system is not bad um yeah this was uh absolutely worth what i paid for it i you know i i have a tough time with 
the $60 initial purchase for any game, but this is not a game pod uh, stream. I'm not going to get into my feelings about, but I did not pay that for it. And I am immensely happy with the value that I got for what I did pay. Um, I really recommend that you check it out more to understand uh, what you can get out of the video game medium as a gap bridger between the comics and uh, the other passive visual media. Kevo, I know you're not a, a video game guy, but would this be something you would sit down and watch uh, cutscenes and FMVs from, even though you know it's not canon? Or if it fit the movie canon, would you be more invested? Um, yes and yes. I... I'm immediately off-put by how super goth Gamora and Drax look here. <laughs> they're a little it's bit so funny. It's a really weird look, but they're so not. And they're a little bit more close to comic book them-ish. Yeah, Gamora is a separate thing. Gamora, I kind of don't think is. Drax... I visually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, they Drax is very much like uh, not doing his best Dave Bautista, but he tried to go, I think, to the same source uh, for how he was going to play this. Um, and something about it really works. You know, he doesn't do the same like I'm invisible jokes like it's he has his own stuff, but he is it's spot on. It's really good. Gamora is it's giving a little bit valley girl i don't know it's weird it's not bad really? but it's nobody has figured out how to do the like uh i was actually kidnapped by a man who destroyed my family and he told me i was his daughter and then he torture trained me and now i am a killer like nobody's figured out how to do it it works so well in the comics where nobody has to like have a voice but um well not I everyone like is claudia black yeah <laughs> I like Game Gamora, but it is also uh, its own thing. It is not Zoe Saldana, I'll say that. All right. I mean, guys, that brings us through the the sort of like back matter coverage uh, for this episode. So I think if you guys are cool with it, I mean, I would, I would run a commercial for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. a couple of house cleaning things before we do that commercial. Uh, I want to say that we have had an amazing time branching out into new some, uh, some new content. Uh, we've got some amazing new programming coming your way uh, in the next couple of weeks. Some cool new ideas that we've never done before. Uh, but if you like what you hear, you should go and you should check out the Back Matter catalog in our live streams, as well as uh, anything else you see in our videos. We love all of our old content and we love sharing it with you. So don't forget to check it out at X's for show. Like, subscribe, click that bell icon like you are trying to save your place in a Mario game on Game Boy. Um... Yeah, you know, like, subscribe, and uh, check out this amazing commercial if it's ready. Smash that bell icon like it's Peter's face. One of my favorite games is super cool theme is Hebo going to be playing when we come back in. Uh, this is an arrangement of Spira Unplugged. Um, this I just want to, you know, throw out there how cool. Uh, it's so I'm not oh. telling anyone anything they've never heard, but music's cool. And uh, the fact that Guardians so interpolates music into the idea of the identity of the program 
is really great. I think the only one that didn't really interpolate music quite the same way was the holiday special. The holiday special was a little bit mm. more about like the gimmicky coolness of the holiday special. Um, well, I was going to say, which one of the themes goes best with Christmas? The music of the holiday special. It's, I don't remember it, to be honest. Uh, Except for Kevin Bacon performing. That's really, I mean, just what? The opening song was cute. Um, uh, that's old 97s, who I have a lot of feelings about. Yeah. Um, I love, I, the song itself was just sort of... Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was whatever. It's a, you know, the silly Christmas joke of it all is fine. Um, but if I may... Yeah, no, let's actually, yeah, please. Did you like the holiday special? If you did... Then may I recommend two scrappy young studs? Oh who, yeah! Uh, just wanted to talk about the tie-in products from said holiday special, and those two scrappy young studs are with you right now, and they are Kebo and I, and we broke down and built back up the Marvel Lego Advent Calendar for Guardians of the Galaxy's holiday special. You know, it sounds like I'm being a little silly in saying that this was such a special thing for us to work on, but uh, it actually was really fun. It was really cool. I was so pleasantly surprised by some of the figures I got to have uh, that I'd never had before. And that's kind of the magic of something like Marvel and Disney. Uh, when you fall in love with something in it, there is a way to get a little more. And um, yeah, like uh, building like my own custom Disney park is a, a Lego hobby of mine that I've been working on for a little bit. And uh, of course these two gentlemen are in the park with me along with uh, Jonah. Uh, and uh, yeah, my guardians are there. Cause why not? And, uh, but let's talk about the holiday special itself. I thought this was charming. I thought it was lovely. I thought alongside the Thor appearance and, you know, some of the stuff from the other Avengers movies, you could really cut together a lovely, a lovely Epic from this material and this was just the silly little piece de resistance. Should I go before you, sir? Or do you yeah, like go because I have a slightly different perspective. Um, you know, overall, I think I found it pretty fun. Uh, it, I haven't really rewatched it much since the holiday. Cause you know, holidays are over. So you don't really, Tend to continue watching a whole bunch of Christmas. The holidays stuff. are done. Can you hear the holidays? Because here they come. Get out of here with that. Um, but I mean, I I love holiday specials. I really do. And this hit all of the correct notes for me to watch this annually. It's mostly about the visuals and about the feeling and about uh, Nebula dancing and about Groot covered in Christmas lights. And, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, the real proper introduction of Nowhere as a set piece for the Guardians of the Galaxy to be a home base uh, here is something that I really appreciated, something I hope we're going to be seeing a lot more going forward in the franchise because that's such a great set piece. Uh, if they don't build it in the park soon, I'm going to flip out because it's so cool and so on point and so on theming. 
and it's at least Black yeah. Spire Outpost cool. Yeah, it's also just absolutely. so possible. It's so reasonable to think about. And I think that it's a set piece that can be utilized in so many different franchises in so many different ways. We could see sure. it appear in the Marvels, which is yeah. going to be cosmic. Who yeah. knows what other cosmic stories we're going to be getting. But uh, it's grown so much from what it was in the first film. And it's a great touch point for uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, and speaking of Lego, I, uh, I brought up our cover. So go Ooh. check this out. Do go check it out. It's so good. We're going to definitely be doing more holiday content this year because I love the holidays. And more Lego content too, right? Come on. That, yeah. 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 When Lego Masters starts back up this year, I think we are going to cover it like it's Drag Race. Yes. Ooh. I'm those so are our big things. Drag Queens and Lego. Drag. Put any Drag hands. Queens listening, if you would like to build some Lego stuff with us. Yeah. Heck yeah. Put your hands together. Yeah, and by uh, we're going to cover it like it's drag race. I mean, we're going to refer to all of the contestants as females, and we're going to only discuss when they lip sync. Yep. That that common practice in uh, Lego Masters. All right, so TK, holidays us. So um, I was a little overwhelmed by the holidays this year. I um, made a lot of new holiday traditions with some of the fine folks on this stream uh as well as my amazing partner who i think unfortunately is not watching right now but i miss them very much and they'll be home from a trip tomorrow so i'm thinking about them a lot and did a lot of holiday stuff and i just for some reason felt like i maybe don't have the room in my cold three sizes too small christmas heart to do the guardians holiday special and then i forgot about it and i did not watch it until after i had seen the movie and the thing about the guardians holiday special is it is about 20 minutes of really serious christmas stuff uh it's 45 minutes long 20 minutes are like just holiday 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 in the sweetest cutest way the rest of the 20 minute 25 minutes feature some really important setup for the third guardians of the galaxy movie yeah uh, None of it is 100% required. You will not be totally right. lost, but you would be in a much better place to understand where they are if you had seen the Guardians holiday special. And I thought it was going to be like the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> uh, so I was sort of blown away to see them and you know the movie the the b plus gets a slight upgrade from an 87 to an 89 maybe because of this uh this holiday or it would have had i realized you know there were things like okay i guess like uh it was intuitive that um ego also fathered nebula and their or uh mantis and therefore mantis is peter quill's uh sister that comes up in the third guardians movie, but I felt like it really had never been discussed. And I guess I just, I, at the time I was just like, that's just me not remembering or not getting it. Uh, well, what in fact it to... is, is that it's dealt with here. What's funny to me is when it happened in the special and I was like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. Nico was like, yeah, kind of like, duh. And I was like, Oh, that hadn't occurred to me though. So I, 
think that is very interesting that uh, he, before the special, felt like that was right there. Whereas you, uh, having not seen the special going into the film, were probably a little taken off guard by that concept being flung around so cavalierly. Because it's not crucial to the film, but it is there. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it was like, you know, I, I immediately I was like, well, that makes total sense. But I don't remember them ever saying that Mantis is also Ego's daughter. But like, of course, how else would he get this companion? And that's literally what he does yeah. is go bang and make babies around the galaxy. So, oh, OK, um, you know, oh, similarly, no, like I was a perv. <laughs> you Nebula know announcing uh, very info dumpily that they have purchased nowhere from the collector uh i maybe would not have left to the holiday special to just throw that in as a single reference i don't know that i can i was really looking to see like is that ever even considered i don't it's just kind of out of nowhere nowhere you say huh i can't believe i just did that god i'm dumb sometimes um, it really feels like like we were saying about Michael Rooker being uh, given a lot more to work with in the second film because yeah. James Gunn fell in love with him. It really feels like James Gunn fell in love with Palm and Nowhere and these concepts, whether it was him or Feige or whoever. Sure, somebody. It really does feel another like another thing where it's not in the second film that that is who Mantis is, and there should have been any reference to it whatsoever that she is one of his only surviving other children and was only kept because she had this ability that he could utilize. Right. The fact that it's not in there really suggests to me it was not intended, um, but was something that they decided to develop. And, you know, that's the nature of ongoing storytelling where you can either roll with it or nope that's it you just gotta roll with it yeah well no you can you can cut out you can go that's so unacceptable to me that they didn't uh properly set this up that i'm done it's that this buck-headed lady didn't say that she was the giant god man's daughter i'm done now and then you're like oh i mean somebody's tweeting it right now um, yeah someone out there i can hear it <laughs> yep so you know i i obviously didn't walk away it's fine uh cosmo being an important character another kind of important thing that felt really uh i'm gonna say out of left field uh, <laughs> uh in Probably the in movie, it gets it set up here so knowing all that uh it it had a weird weight to me uh that i i maybe would not have felt if i'd watched it the, watched it during the holidays as a holiday special it's really great it's really cute it kind of is that thing that we're asking for which is like a little more disney streaming lower stakes easier to produce and get around you know it's using drax and mantis more than all of the other characters so i you know we're not paying as much um i love them both they should get paid everything but uh that's just how this works I, I would love to see more stuff like this. Doesn't need to be holiday themed. Um, I, I would have maybe taken this in two 22 minute specials 
one of which uh, was like Guardians of the Galaxy straight out of nowhere. And it's doing all the setup. And then the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which is just this ongoing joke about Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Maybe even a Halloween at Halloween and a Christmas Ooh, at Christmas. Yeah. Sure. Um, you know, ultimately, I think this plus the 20 minutes of Thor uh, really, you know, you can really do like a four hour cut of Guardians yeah. 3 that makes it two movies. Yeah. My honest opinion of the holiday special is because the dance sequence is better in the holiday special. Yeah. Because the brokenness of Peter Quill is maybe just handled more charmingly in the holiday special. I think the holiday special is why I couldn't give the movie an A minus uh, because the holiday special was already too much of what I'd wanted. Um, but I'm really positive on the holiday special, what it adds to the experience. I hope that Marvel does continue to make more things like this because, uh, you know, no lie. I think Werewolf by Night is one of my favorite Marvel products ever made. I think all three of the, us feel that way. And yeah. I'm just really engaged for what could come next as a result of this. I think James Gunn did the brave thing, making the hard art. And I would really hope to see some other people have an easier time because of it. I I really agree with that. And I think you are right about the Guardian's extra content being kind of important to this last movie in a way that like maybe we really got to think about this uh before yeah. we just kind of dive in and and throw this stuff around. That's why we did this episode. Uh, and it's really making me think about what they might have had in mind for the potential of Werewolf by Night. Uh, when you pointed out how much this sets up Guardians 3 and yeah. how it's not necessarily completely crucial, but you definitely feel like you missed a few steps. I think, yeah. you know, the introduction of Cosmo here is even just so offhand that hey, it's, 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 it's another thing where you could have just watched the movie and thought you just... Oh, it just happened off screen. Yep. Though it's just but, what happened. <laughs> so I wonder how many of the things that we saw of Harriet Sansom Harris and Elsa Bloodstone and, um, you know, all of it uh, could have more potential than we ever considered when we were just thinking about it yep. as a Halloween special. And it's sort of a fluidity that I feel like you kind of need to be able to talk about the Guardians holiday special directly into volume three. So I'm not by any means trying to cut our Guardians uh, holiday no, special short, but I do want to touch on uh, three right away. Something that stands out from a lot of these images is immediately I noticed that uh, in a lot of these there is more off-center Star-Lord than in previous films. Yep. Yeah. Um, but this was not the Rocket movie that they said it was going to be. This also wasn't the Gamora movie they said it was going to be. This was kind of the Nebula normalizes the difficulties of her life movie and also tie up all of the loose ends. But this was like a Nebula movie and a Mantis movie and then everybody else that got paid more unfairly uh kind of got to do light lifting here so yes nebula you know uh karen gillen and god i always forget her name but nebula and mantis 
Tom carried the the acting load and the sort of person character load in this film. Uh, And I think that's really important to note when we're talking about whose movie it is, because um, it's still written like it's Rocket's movie. There is still such a focus on and James Gunn in that Twitter thread that I'm talking about where it's yes and no. So many of the questions are, is Rocket your favorite? Is Rocket your stand in character? Did you always know this was going to be Rocket's movie? Did you always know that it's actually Rocket's franchise, not Peter's? Yes, 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 yes. So for James Gunn, this is all about Rocket. And I think the writing and the directing bear that out. But I think you are pointing to we often expect that the person whose movie it is for production, that person will, you know, atlas the film. They will carry it on their shoulders and shepherd it through. And rocket does not do that. He's Um, a passenger in the story. He is a passenger in the movie that is about him, but he is a very passive figure in the entire film, even so far as being handed the role of new captain of the guardians of the galaxy not in a way that he doesn't deserve and it's it's justified in that they spend the entire film fighting for rocket but rocket is a passenger in the entire entire film basically and in you know in that in the game that i'm talking was talking about uh like the conversation is happening that maybe rocket should be captain and he is he's doing exactly what you're saying didn't happen here he's kind of i think he's going to get it in the end i'm not done yet but um you know i he's he is actively fighting for it this animated interactive character is trying to get you to choose option b let rocket be captain um and the there's no dimensionality to the pathos of rocket or rocket and peter and that's okay it's just a sweet thing about ultimately how they love each other but what mantis and nebula are trying to figure out is how to person at such a complex level scene to scene and broadly for them as where they're going as characters that it really is like uh, you know they're playing chess and rocket and peter are playing checkers yeah and that's okay it's it is okay it's just like let's let's represent and pay everybody according to what they're doing Mm -hmm. there's also an extent to which this movie operates under the notion that we associate guardians of the galaxy with james gunn and these actors Mm -hmm. and the cast that we're left with you know, fast forward, there is, because, you know, if you're watching this, we're spoiling the movie. Yeah. And that's, that's sure. you know, I just, it's so important to mention that because it is our show's policy. But if this is your first episode, you never know. Um, The end of the film sees a number of the Guardians go their own way. And even though everybody is still kind of a Guardian light, the Guardians we're left with are specifically Rocket, Groot, Adam Warlock, a 16-year-old Phyla Vell. That looks and... like she's 12. She does, but she is 16 at least. And Cosmo, which I can't help and but notice. And, oh, yeah, and Craglin, yeah. thank you. I can't help but notice that four of them are of questionable visuality. Mm. Uh, you know, and by four of them, I mean 
kind of phyla and i don't mean that dismissive of this young actress but that's just such a one moment inclusion it's her mm-hmm. name and a thought you get nothing about who she is from that moment if you are uh not a marvel comics person uh phyla is phyla vel she in the comics is uh a a cree and of the marvel uh ilk yeah uh, she's associated with the Captain Marvel side of things. So who she will be, because she is not a Cree here. She is a, a jump, creation. Jump girl. She's a creation yeah. of the high evolutionary who makes whole races throughout the galaxy. We discover in this film. Uh, and, and so that's the thing It's like, part of it is that her d- character design is designed to slap on to a big group of children who can only work two hours a day in Hollywood. So it's got to be easy. We got to get them in these wigs that are, that are super easy to manage. So they kind of look terrible and we got to get that all done real fast. And then at the end we include one of them. Um, I, you know, I might've done like one of them is unique just to give her something before. But so she shows up like, Oh, she's really important, but she just looks like an extra because she was until five minutes ago. In this oh, episode. it's you. You mean like scar and like love uh, and like, it's why I really appreciate. Um, then sort of the extreme aging her down. Cause I, I would have said, 12 maybe even 10 yeah so when i found out that she's 16 now so she was 15 at the time of filming when i found that out i was very surprised because yeah i also thought that she was a child and i wonder if that even is to sort of if they decide to recast if they decide to change the look it's just oh she's older now and it's especially a lot easier to do with a alien character than it is with scott lang's daughter um, although Marvel apparently is in the no recasting, that's their thing, right? Now going yeah. forward, yeah. Um, yeah, we're sure, sure. <laughs> Me too. But I agree. It's a, it's an interesting. It's, a, it is a group that uh, I was sort of happy to see this tag on sequence where they're all together. It's, it's cute. It's fine, but it does really say to me like. There is not going to be a Guardians 4. The Guardians will go on in our hearts and in our minds and maybe in a cameo like the one I was talking about where like Peter and Thor show up to help out. I can believe that, you know, I can believe they'll be in uh, Nova's movie. I don't believe we will be getting a Guardians 4. And even then... If we do, it'll certainly be unrecognizable to the Guardians we know. Right. Uh, you know, it was great to see Mantis grow into this stronger woman. You know, Palm's performance over the last however many films has been tremendous. She took Mantis from a kind of a joke to something really special. And she's certainly not the original Mantis who has been at three different companies, Marvel, DC, and at an independent publisher. But she's truly been spectacular. Um You know, I maybe think that the lesson is Drax is mentally disabled, so laugh at him because he's in on the joke was not the the punchline I wanted. And I know that wasn't necessarily how it was meant to be, but I can't... Whatever it was was weird. Yeah, the throwing the ball right at the kid's face doesn't play at all. He had children. 
And if somebody smashed his child in the face, he wouldn't have dug it. That's a way in which he's not a dad. Like, that's a way in which he's a child abuser. Yeah. And that's the nature of James Gunn movies. They push the characters so far that I'm sorry. That's part of why. No, Star-Lord is such a I'm a dad who punches children in the faces kind of character that he would be the guy to lose it on Thanos because mm -hmm. it always works out for him. And Damn. this was like a really cool change. Damn. Gamora as a as a Ravager did nothing for me. It just was so weird. Uh, Gamora as a Ravager reveal at the start is fine. It's great. Because, uh, of course, she shouldn't be with the Guardians. She, should, yeah. she is much closer to... I mean, she's the Gamora that we knew in the middle. She's a criminal. She's going to kill stuff to get ahead. That's her thing. When she... When we do the final sequence and everybody is where they're supposed to be and the Ravagers greet her like everybody's hugging and, you know, somebody strokes her cheek is the this is a group of people that we have established maybe raped Peter Quill for fun when he was a boy. <laughs> that it's is the part that kills me. Tries to imply. Yes. yes. Hey, wait. Sorry, uh, I should not say establish. I hey, should Robbie. Say, uh cutest lips on the whole show robbie just uh popping in to say hey uh look at all kinds of cute got to see the movie earlier today love that you're uh in the in the chat with us uh joining us we were just saying that we think uh mantis has grown great nebula has grown great uh pete quill has grown great drax gets treated poorly uh gamora gets treated hey, gamora and rocket don't do much but can I, speaking of rocket and speaking yeah. of groot yeah okay when I saw the first Guardians, that. it was like, eh, you know, I'm uh, I'm rocking. It's my best buddy Groot. I'm Groot. And they were like, we are best friends. I mean, you know, and we're best friends. I'm yeah. Groot. And like, this goes on for a movie, and then in the second movie, there's such great chemistry between baby Groot and the whole cast that you sort of lose that thread. Then there's all of the pressure to engage with Nebula Rocket. Honestly, I don't know that there was like a moment of Groot Rocket in the third film, but I know that every two pack of toys in that first two toy waves was certainly Groot and Rocket. I really like all of the changes and I don't regret the things we gave up. But it is noticeable that something like Groot and Rocket's friendship didn't even get two minutes of screen time in the whole film. Well, and, you know, Rocket became Groot's father. The the thing that one of the things that was revealed is uh, I am Groot's last I am Groot before the blip was uh, him saying dad. Like he's scared and saying dad to Rocket. Uh, that's that's hugely important. Um, even though Groot is more grown up now, I think he's late teens, early twenties equivalent. Um, that's his dad that's dying throughout the film. And it's not star Lord's dad. No. Star Lord already did his dad thing. This star Lord's is the, drinking buddy. I, he's and out this, of his dad era. This is where we become a little like, maybe you guys took it too far with doing Vin Diesel doing I am Groot as the whole basis for this character. Because this yeah. should be Groot's moment to do the thing. Peter Quill should be the stalwart hero that isn't going to let his nephew 
suffer the loss of his father unnecessarily because he has a sister now he has responsibilities he's okay he can be heartbroken about Gamora he can even drink himself into a stupor but he should be the strong one so that somebody else can have a not my dad moment but of course it can't be Groot because, because he just we have locked us in yeah um, and that's 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 the big problem i think because yeah you're right on all of it but the most emotional depth they ever gave him was that final i am crew like there's the you know there he had his little arc in infinity war but i think that also sort of proved the limits of what you can do yeah. with a character like crew are you going to give him another big sweeping emotional you already asked so much of that in infinity war i, I will say like infinity war at least uh balanced it with plot like just sure. yeah Groot figured out that he needed to be a piece of uh Yarmbjorn um or stormbreaker um yep. was uh it it allowed that the fact that you couldn't do a ton of emotion to be okay uh this would have needed emotion from him and i don't even think that it's impossible not i think it's possible to have it I don't know that it is possible with Vin Diesel and a body double. Uh, I just, there needed to be something more. Maybe in the second movie or the holiday special, we start to transition to, uh, we can understand what Groot is saying so he can have some actual dialogue. I don't know how you do it, but I know you can. Yeah. The other thing that this kind of raises is... <clears throat> You know, when I think about what Groot and Rocket offer, if you smoosh them together, you kind of get a Pikachu. <laughs> and yeah, um, okay. down to the I am Groot. Pikachu! You know, like, I mean, it's all there. Yeah. Um, Blasting. Yeah. But the reason that I, I think that it's significant is because so much of the Guardians franchise rests on digitally rendered characters. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the visages are not exactly human. I by no means think anybody else could step into the Dave Bautista makeup and be Drax. Mm. I don't think anybody else could put on the Nebula costume, the Gamora costume, or the Mantis costume. But this is the least human-looking crew. This is the most computer-generatable crew you've got. And um, that the crew was left in a position where Star-Lord will return, but nobody else is guaranteed to... And, you know, again, tune out if you haven't seen the movie yet, but nobody died. Like, oh, nobody yeah. died. Not even the Very bad surprising. guys. So, I just want to, you know, go on record yeah. as saying that this movie, while it did pull a lot of punches, didn't uh, undeliver and definitely played into a lot of its greater strengths. I think the end of an era for Guardians actually signals the end of something that was probably never meant to last. I don't mm. think that Guardians as a product is bad or I don't think it, it it's, you know, a mistake. But it was born of some very unique chemistry. And that chemistry aged out the minute Chris Pratt's golden boy status disappeared and there's sort of a metaphor to adam warlock being the golden boy and being like but i don't want it and mum, mother no mommy um 
you know, so for me, I, I'm going to miss guardians as a franchise. I'm going to miss these performers doing these performances, but guardians itself was a one of a kind thing that kind of never should have existed outside of its own vacuum. So the fact that they are saying goodbye at the end of the vacuum's life cycle is terrific. Spin Star-Lord out into his own thing. He can be an Avenger now. Seriously. Star-Lord can be an Iron Man-esque Avenger. Go with that. Guardians be Guardians. Star-Lord be Star-Lord. And let's enter a new era. What you got, Kevo? Um, I mean, yeah, a lot of the same. I think... One of the things that is really most interesting to me um, about this ending is, you know, you were talking about it being the end of this era of the Guardians, and I'm thinking about, yeah, so many things are changing over in terms of the MCU, and what even is going to replace the Guardians of the Galaxy. And that was when I uh, started thinking about the upcoming lineup and everything that we still have coming. And I was like, oh, we are getting a new secondary team coming up, aren't we? Yeah. And I hadn't thought about it that way until we were really thinking about this era of secondary team ending. And uh, started thinking about what there is to come in the future. And uh, yeah. And Marvel. Uh, the Marvels. We've also, I was going to say the Marvels. Um, we are. There will be a Nova Core thing at some point. Yeah. Um, we, we also have the Star Jammers, uh, which is kind of for going forward, that would be this era's version of the guardians in so far as like if you announced tomorrow that they were doing a star jammers movie no one would know who they are but <laughs> you're out you're done nico says no thank you to the star jammers movie and we'll he doesn't be want to live us. on this planet anymore um don't act like you don't have feelings about christopher summers Are you just gonna strip right now? Going. For Going. Christopher Summers? Ah. He can't even hear us. It's fine. I know. He's no, back. I could. I keep my headphones that loud. Uh am I really like throwing a fit over Christopher Summers? No, I know you're not. No, but I think I think one of the things that I'm really nervous about, and I'm really glad you brought up Thunderbolts, Kevo. Um <laughs> No no I, for real. Um because I think we are entering an age of there is perhaps a little too much belief that we can make anything work in, in kind of like a white corporate blindness. Um, I love the chances we're taking on products like echo and iron heart. Those shouldn't be chances. They should be surefire line drives, but I understand why they have to be chances. Uh, I'm glad that we're doing them. Agatha coven of chaos to be as a huge Agatha fan, you know, my, my, my Scarlet Witch pillow is right back here. As a huge, as a huge Agatha fan, um, why? Like this is just like a meme. Yeah, getting stretched into a TV show. It's like when the Geico cavemen got a TV show. Oh my gosh! Right, which is such a bummer because it's a phenomenal cast, and some of the characters are good characters to put in the Marvel Magic 
oeuvre. Universe. Yeah. Uh, doing a sh- doing it was Agatha all along the series is silly. It is misunderstanding what our enthusiasm for an actor and character is and how it functions. I think it's something that can go either way. I think it's very tricky. I'm being very careful not to prejudge it, but I'm also very aware of the directions it could go. Um, I mean, I think it could be a great series. I just think it was a bad idea to do it. And if it turns out great, that's that's totally fine. I'll be very happy. But I think following that instinct every time is something that Marvel should not get in the habit of doing because we are going to react to a lot of what they do. And we tend to do it online. We tend to do it visually and with punchlines, but that is not, you can't feed that into chat GPT and make a show out of it. And to interact with a little bit about uh, the nature of reactions, uh, we have two major updates to these uh, schedules. Kevo, if you wouldn't mind hopping back to that previous slide oh, uh, sure. for a moment. Uh, Deadpool 3 is getting a major change to its production in that, uh, according to the Writers Guild of America strike. Oh, yeah. Ryan Reynolds can no longer ad lib. He must be listed as a writer and must be added to the writing staff or he cannot ad lib his own lines. Period. Um the other thing is that with a new writer coming on to Blade, the big rumor is that Black Knight has been completely removed from the film and will be showing up somewhere else instead, but that okay. it is not appropriate to make a film about a Black character being a Black man and throw in a sort of British white character to come in and be British. A whiny, sad British white boy. And I can say that as someone who has both read and covered Black Knight for this show. Yes, that is what they were adding. It was adding Billy Magnuson to the live-action Aladdin movie for no reason. I mean, if they let it percolate a little longer in the comics, they have uh, his daughter, who is a person of color. So who knows? Yeah. And now we're entering the age of, if you thought the James Gunn stuff was questionable, oh, that's, I, I don't even want to go further, but there are certain situations that will need to be conquered or contracts will not be considered immortus. Um, Interesting fact about this film, by the way, for a while, uh, they considered Annihilus for the villain. That would have been uh, a fine villain too. To have uh, done all the same things, but it's a nihilist. It's not um, high evolutionary. Yeah. Who, you know, a lot of people are talking about, can he step in? Hmm. What do you mean? To can replace he, Kang. Can he fulfill oh. the role? Or can could, he fill the role? Uh, could high evolutionary step in and replace Kang? Yeah. Not after this. The next going. I yeah, think I they need to pull in a bigger villain. I think I agree. Like actually, I think the best thing they could do, and it's you know, Marvel, call me if you think this could work, but I think they need to do like a dark cabal 
as the bigger villain, yeah. like a dark Loki and a dark Doctor Strange yeah. and a dark someone you would just never think be like a dark cap with a yeah. shield full of infinity stones. Yeah. And the three of them need to be the replacement for Kang. Um, yeah. because, because it does, it serves that purpose of giving you multiverse. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that's a brilliant idea. Okay. All said and done. Let's, let's hop back to guardians for a minute. I don't want a guardians Four. I do want more of these characters, but whatever I want next should be called guardians. 3000. I was going to say one. It yeah. should not be guardians of the galaxy volume four. Yep. I'm surprised they ever in the first place uh, decided to go with numer uh, numerals for the franchise, especially because I thought once we did Iron Man 3 that that was going to be it. Uh, the first sequels that came out immediately after that with Thor and Cap right away did not use uh, yeah. numerals. So, I, think like, it's, I think it's because of the volume mixtape. Yeah. Um, but you know that boxed them in though it definitely did uh but they are also they've broken free of it uh with peter out of the mix that's um, true too i think you are right that uh guardians 3000 would be perfectly fine now my other question is uh would you if you had the choice would you rather get guardians 3000 the movie or uh series uh, if I had a choice, yeah. I would I would probably rather do a show yeah. with four different Guardians teams. One that's like uh, an episode led by Nebula, who has to form the Guardians of Nowhere. One that's this Guardians team. One that's Mantis pulls together a very different kind of Guardians. And one that is Star-Lord having a Guardians team up on Earth, and a few of the others show up for that. Yeah. Um, I but I would... I would do a Guardians show. I wouldn't try and recapture the magic of these movies. It's not going to work. Um, no. Just because, like I keep saying, they were a moment in time. And, like, no. I'm a big fan of a moment in time. Um, do it's I one think... moment in time? Yeah. Do I think that Janet Jackson's best record is The Velvet Rope? Yes. Do I think that what Janet Jackson needs to do to recapture success is go back to a self-hating, self-torturing place where she can't face her demons, both mental, emotional, and victim like self-victimization from things that have been done to her do i think that that is the best way to get another hit record from her no because that was a moment in her life that we can move past guardians is a moment in, in the marvel cinematic universe that uh is done um i do want to say that will Poulter, if you ever decide that in your heart you are a bisexual pansexual or homosexual person or just want to see a really good dick you should call me um I love you in this movie, sir. Uh, you are everything that is right with a guy who wants to be natural looking. Uh, I don't know whether you have taken anything or not, not judging that, but I, I just want to say there is something so great about an actor that's like, I'm proud of my fitness when I'm not the size of a house. Yeah. That confidence is what made this interpretation of adam warlock which was silly because the character is meant to be like omnipotent the character is meant to have the infinity stone that vision has like it's meant to be a very different character uh will Poulter, you really you really like did a thing that i didn't expect um and you did it looking 
silly in a way that you made attractive. That's a real talent and a really great interpretation of a character that I literally dreaded. So mm. I really, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think by the end, you would be willing to follow Adam Warlock into a more serious film and role for sure. Um, and I don't necessarily mind that it started out silly. I maybe mind that it felt a little directionless. Um, but yeah, I mean, he did a really great job. Fantastic version of the character, I think could be a really big asset to cosmic Marvel in the future. For sure. Um, I do. I, I gotta say, I really do agree with you that I think it's series all the way. I really like your pitch. Um, to really get everybody involved i was because you know i was thinking it's a guardian show and it's who we see at the end of uh at the in the post-credit sequence you know it's rocket screwed it's cosmo um but i really am curious about what we're going to do with nowhere and nebula as well i think karen gillen uh put in the work and deserves headliner status yeah um so, you know, if that's in a series, I I am very happy. I think, uh, you know, I, I've said a few times that I'd really like Marvel to kind of buck conventional wisdom and take some chances. I think these are the people to do it with. I think assuming that they'll be fine without Dave Bautista and uh, Chris Pratt and putting some of the women in really front-facing roles and hyping that up and, and letting them move some stories forward would be something that most people would say like, Oh, you can't do that. But I would love to see Marvel take the chance and do it because I think they would be pleasantly surprised. I agree. Kevo, how about you TV show movie? Where is your heart lie for future guardian products? Um, you know, just across the board, really. I, agree with everyone that I don't think they can carry their own film uh, again necessarily perhaps something that is a joint effort with Novacore or seeing them appear in other things um, you know I'd love to see a TV show of Guardians but I feel like after a really strong start uh, we've really stalled out on putting out a lot of great stuff on Disney Plus. I don't know if it's because, you know, we just had a bunch to a bunch queued up because of Pando or what, but like now I feel like I'm constantly waiting on more Disney Plus shows. So I don't necessarily want to say I want to add something to that queue when there's already stuff waiting. Yeah. But uh it is. It's an avenue that I wish they were uh exploring and taking more advantage of. You know, a lot of streamers are doing it for uh projects and and franchises that you know aren't necessarily this so i think there that's definitely an avenue to explore uh and i actually just wanted to say something we didn't mention once somehow in this entire discussion uh carga uh nathan fillion's really forgettable awkward performance yeah that was intentional for me i just thought like you know whether you're a nathan fillion guy or not and you know I've just heard some claims that he is not always the best to his female coworkers. And so I, I just, I have a hard time uh, being the biggest fan, but uh, whether you're the biggest fan or not, the character offered nothing to the film. It felt and that much... was his face. That was the use of Nathan Fillion. 
that's the, you know that's one of the things you, you know this movie had um uh, Linda Cardellini as yeah. Cosmo as a voice yeah. but Linda no, Cardellini not Cosmo Lila oh, as Lila, Lila thank yeah. you but she's already the voice of and the face of Hawkeye's wife yeah and so I, I find myself a little confused about some of the casting in some places. Um, you know, Gemma Chan just... was a was a Cree. If they really want to do it, they'll do it. No, um, but that to me was also that was James Gunn. James yes, Gunn, I, right? Like Slinda Cardellini wanted to work with her again, and that's yep. one of those things where I feel bad because obviously we love Sean Gunn going back to Gilmore Girls, yep. but I really feel like they tried to force Craglet on us in a way that doesn't feel natural and he At does all. not make the impression that I think they hope he does. Yes. I, I think it was maybe silly to think that we would care about whether or not he can control the arrow. I would have rather just seen him show up and do it uh, and be like, oh yeah, he's in the mix too. Yondu liked him. Exactly. Um, it's another thing where I, having seen the holiday special, I feel like I would, cause I was kind of pretty annoyed during the movie i was like this is valuable character and space and screen time uh well, how did we even get here but then you know with the holiday special they do telegraph that they're gonna do it i just didn't care for it uh like you guys said love sean gunn from gilmore girls uh love family looking out for family you gotta know by now he's not that character uh, also, I maybe would have just shut down production and turned the entire thing around if you couldn't get Miley Cyrus back as mainframe. Agreed. <laughs> What's the point of this movie? Yeah. Yeah, Cy Stallone. Uh, cool. <laughs> Acting so hard. He only it's did a Billy D. Williams on show. Mando shit. <laughs> Baby, do the magic hand thing. Um... <sighs> Oh my god! Yeah, I just did that. Uh, I meant Carl Weathers. Yeah, no, I got it. Channeling Billy D. Williams. Yeah. Yes, that, uh, which is exactly what Carl supposed to be. Which, which is, is exactly, which, exactly that's that's even what I meant. Channeling supposed to be the, a living Yondu. Right. I meant yeah, channeling Lando the way. Thank you for putting all of my stuff together. Channeling Lando yeah, the way and, that he's supposed to be channeling Yondu, and uh, it's a whole lot of stuff. But anyway, it's uh, yeah. I give the movie a B plus and I yep. give the whole guardians franchise a B and that B is pulled up heavily by the holiday special, which I give an a minus the third film, which I give a B plus and the attractions, which I give an a for effort, but probably a B minus for existing. Um, but yeah, a, a B for the overall franchise guys, tell me movie and then overall franchise. Movie's a B plus for me. Franchise is a B minus. Um, I really, really, really do have a problem with Chris Pratt. And I, after the first one, couldn't follow him. I thought going Chris Pratt and Ego was a real miss for me in the second one. You had a hard time believing Chris Pratt was born of a giant ego? Uh... Hey, I wish that it had been like that. I wish that it had had done it that way um so much uh, it would be like a c but for its endless potential and just some incredible characters like mantis and nebula 
I, I love that this entire series has been the entire MCU. We've been watching Groot grow up. What a cool novel, beautiful journey. I think they did such a fantastic job um, growing the space cosmic corner of the Marvel universe. I think it is such fertile soil in which so many things can now grow. And I'm so excited to see all of those. I really hope some of these other characters get the time that they deserve now that we have come to the end of the story of the original guardians. Um, but yeah, I mean, those things that I do have a problem with, they really, really bother me in a way that like the grade can't be higher because of that. You know, I think for me, Chris Pratt can't really individually ruin this franchise for me, this part of the franchise for me, because this part of the franchise has sort of always been plagued with this problem or that, uh, whether it's finding Yondu incredibly problematic in the first film or, you know, Pratt's troubles or the troubles with James Gunn or any number of things. I feel like so much has happened over the 10 years of this franchise. Um it's hard for me to too heavily embrace it and i think even with what an inconclusive ending this is where like we said no one died everyone walked away so everyone's left in a place where we can see all of them through a number of different avenues not even the same place whether it's nowhere whether it's wherever mantis is going whether it is the ravagers whether it's peter on earth uh or the guardians that are left behind. That's five different prongs that we could see different characters from this franchise in other films. Uh, so it's really more um, breaking up the band than it is an ending to it. Yeah. Uh, as a franchise, I really agree with you guys. Like it's, it's, you know, mostly a B it's not my favorite, but it's not something that I hate uh, this movie as a conclusion of sorts for this trilogy i give an a because i really think it did everything that it really needed to to both close it out and leave it open enough for future films outside of guardians uh for the film itself definitely something more like a b uh because yeah you know it's just not never has been my favorite avenue of marvel or the mcu but i'm excited to see uh where it could pop up in the future uh i think it's really interesting that the three films of 2023 are all sort of off earth in huge ways quantum mania was in the quantum realm this was almost 100 percent cosmic and now the Marvels is going to be a lot of cosmic stuff as well. Uh, I'm looking a lot more forward to that movie, which, you know, has the potential to see some of these people in it. Who knows? Yeah. We will probably find more of that out soon. I'm surprised we didn't get a trailer. I, I was surprised by that, too. I would have thought that rather, you know, every once in a while, the second end credit sequence is a trailer. Um, I would have the thought rumor is a lot of reshoots. Mm, that's true the yeah. rumor is there's not a lot of uh belief in the original cut of the film mm. and a lot of a lot a lot of reshoots yeah sure so but speaking of belief in a product yeah and excitement about where it's headed yeah. we have an amazing slate coming up and i can't wait to share it with you guys 
we're going to be taking a look at some unbelievable things in the next few weeks. We're going to be taking a look at RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. We're going to be taking a look at Muppet Mayhem over on Disney+. Plus. We're going to be taking a look at The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which is already getting some phenomenal reviews. It's amazing. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at the incredible Eurovision event. Uh, because I'm a huge gay bones for everything Vin Diesel's giant body. We're going to look at Fast X. And uh, we're going to take a look at The Little Mermaid. Uh, so we've got some really cool things coming up. Got a couple of more things that aren't on this list, but I can't wait to share this, guys, with you. Uh, real quick, off this list, the thing I'm probably the most excited to cover with this crew is uh, I'm pretty excited to get everybody's take on Fast 10 because it should be just like a cracked out experience. What are you guys most excited about? Oh man, it's tough because I'm a I'm a Zelda boy, of course. Uh, that's my jam. That's I think kind of why we're doing it. Um, so I'm super excited for that. Eurovision is also really my thing. I am making I'm dragging these guys along with me uh, into Eurovision this year. But uh, this has been the year where I have, along with uh, Jonah gotten nico and kevo into drag race after they've gotten me into a bunch of different reality shows contest shows uh and i was certain from the get-go that they would like this but they had a lot of the same doubts about it that i did when i started watching so it was really great to be kind of in the driver's seat and you guys have been such phenomenal uh show watchers and participants in positive fandom and you're both huge like fact and number and trivia geeks in a way that is so great for drag race plus you know being big project runway fans you get a lot of the fashion references and like the 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 what's being measured um you know nico because you are so heavily involved in songwriting you get the music of it you both get the theatricality of it so um, it's just been really cool to watch and see and talk about. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I kind of just picked them all. Uh, and because I'm really excited about Little Mermaid too. Really? Yeah. I Kevo, how about you? Um, you know, a lot of it. Uh, I'm very curious about Eurovision. This is going to be a first-time experience. Very exciting. Um, I think the thing on this list I'm currently most uh, excited and intrigued for is probably Muppets Mayhem because um, I really don't know what to expect. I really don't know what they're doing with the Muppets anymore. Um, but, you know, so many people love them. And even just in the trailer alone, you can see there's so many friggin' celebrity cameos. And I really just want them to figure out what to do with this franchise. And yeah. I think something like this, where you can rotate in different Muppets, even when the focus is about the electric mayhem, is really smart. Because as I was thinking, I was like, why the hell wouldn't Fozzie appear in an episode? Or Kermit? It's the same performers. These aren't celebrities. So any number of Muppets could appear. Uh, and so I'm excited to see what all that, what that'll bring. But pretty much the whole slate, you know, we got some really cool stuff that we're covering going forward. And I love the uh, direction that we've taken stuff. Well, I can't wait to come back and cover all of this. But until we do, Kevo, where can everybody find you online? Uh, you can find me over on the socials at Kevo Really, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And TK, where can the folks find you? You can find me on all the socials at xnatexgrayx. Nico, where can everybody find you? 
You can find me at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. You can check out my award-winning work uh, over in Young Men in Love, as well as all of our work all over this amazing network on KidRiotComics.com and more. And until next time, don't forget to keep your lights lit, your gateways open. Remember, we will be covering all the best media, Saturdays, Sundays, and uh, every minute you can't get away from us. Uh, so hit like, subscribe, and more. Check out our social medias. Uh, when I hit a thousand likes, uh, sorry, a thousand <laughs> follows on Twitter, I'll post something moderately inappropriate. So uh, push He'll me to a thousand. Oh, I will. Yeah, uh, you'll see just how hard I work to create like shadow. Uh, we'll make it. We'll make it sexy. So uh, definitely push me to a thousand, and I'll, I'll push you right back. Um, that's not a threat. So, um, lights lit, gates open, like, subscribe. Kevo, thanks for the background. So long, and thanks for all the fish. Outro. Peace. Peace.